Nordic Food Lab Radio. The oven chimes. Jonas leaves his desk and my mouth starts watering. Jonas has spent the morning experimenting with bread again. And that means we'll be having a loaf of sourdough with lunch today. A thick slice with a thick slab of butter. Ugh, it's one of the most luxurious things we have at the lab. Jonas opens the oven and the nutty smells of crust fill the lab. The hollow thump, brushing off excess flour, and set to cool. It's so tempting just to tear into it there and then, inhale the steam rising up and just devour. But as the loaf cools, the bread takes on its distinctive qualities. The aromas and textures that reflect the raw materials, knowledge, and care that Jonas has baked into it. Bread is a simple system. Flour, water, and a little bit of salt. But so much complexity can be coaxed out of these three ingredients. Oftentimes, Jonas will break open a loaf and read the bread like he's reading a book. The light, airy crumb, crispy crust, and incredible aroma are a map to a journey through gluten structures, gelatinized starch, sugar and amino acid breakdowns, enzymes, lactic acid formation, and yeast leavening. So where do we start? On a train. Where are we going? We're going to see our friend and farmer called uh, Per Grube. He has a farm called Mötomkor, a beautiful place. Per is one of the few farmers in Denmark who really put a lot of effort and energy into searching and into investigating the possibilities of, right now, not commercial grains. So he's collaborating with something called Norkin, this gene bank in from where he gets some, some very old and ancient grain and then he tries to, uh, to produce it basically. 45 minutes from central Copenhagen, the cities and suburbs turn into birch forests. Pear picks us up from the train station and even his car smells like bread. He has unruly gray hair and a wispy beard. He drives us up to his lakeside farm. Inside the barn, a sifting machine sounds like a small jet engine. <laughs> Two stories tall, grain is shaken across a series of sieves, separating the wheat from the chaff, smaller seeds, and damaged seeds. In a minute I'll go and make some coffee. That sounds nice. So I was wondering if we could start at the beginning. At the beginning? At the beginning. My name is Pierre Grobe and I'm an organic farmer. So I have been uh, taking part in the organic moving from the very beginning, back in the 70s, and I'm still dealing with organic movement. It uh, can be hard to say it all my life, but it's very close to. <laughs> Pierre's office looks like a kid's fort for a grown-up. It's cluttered with pictures, papers, and buckets of grain. But it doesn't feel disorganized. It has changed because when we started, most of the people that started organic uh, movement and growing in Denmark was uh, happy amateurs. I did not know anything about it. I am not from the countryside, so I'm a child of the 70s. We simply want to make it better food with no pesticides and fertilizers. Very simple and maybe also very naive. 
also we when we started we find out it's a little bit more complicated and uh, the rest of the farmers they're not stupid they know a lot of things but we have learned a lot of the conventional farming but i think also the conventional farming has learned about how we want to run a farm and in all this we have been working to be um, better when i'm thinking about when we started i can't understand that the other farmers they were behind the fence and were laughing i said what are they doing the crazy guys and, and <laughs> but it's also good to be part of a good joke when we started we did not know anything about where the goal will be so it's going to be a fantastic journey Per is an easygoing but passionate guy with a warm smile as he talked i felt like he was sketching out ideas drawing one line of thought and then another he'd circle back on a topic a few times in a way that wasn't repetitive but added depth and detail of course if we go into the field and we want to grow wheat we'll be happy if there will be wheat but it's not important for us that it will be a totally uniform it's not important for instance the height how high the plant will be it will be no problem for us it will be low and tall plants that will be all right and uh, there could be a difference in color and everything but there will also be difference in how they react on a attack of for instance yellow rust or mildew or anything else so that's the point we want that we have a huge diversity and the yellow rust is very bad because it, it can destroy a whole crop clean the fields like a carpet destroy the crops 100% that's bad this uh, yellow rust we can do nothing about it in an organic way and in 2009 we have a big attack of yellow rust in triticale and then it will be triticale it's a mixture about rye and wheat and the farmers that grow triticale they have to harvest nothing so the plant die and that's a very very bad thing it's bad for the system it's not possible to go to the market or to people said sorry <laughs> this year there will be no wheat so the only thing we can do is something about this yellow rust for instance is to work with a variety and trying to find resistance in varieties and it was very nervous this year because we have a big attack of yellow rust and we have some crossings and it was obvious that this crossing is not uniform it's very uh, diverse in how it looks in the field but also a lot of plant was not attacked as hard as the rest and when i go into this little plot with this crossing then i could see that there was much more grain and that's the theory that this crossing will be better because we want the fenelyder okay call it a sense of spreading large deviation yeah yeah that's that's what we want in theory but now i'm sure in practice and at this point pear gets up and announces there's always time for a coffee break and tells jonas and i to walk by the lake as he makes some it's a beautiful early spring day the sun is bright but it's still really cold in the shadows laundry hangs on the line by the house and there are some raised beds ready to be planted now we often talk about uh, how food diversity and f- being capable of also bringing some sort of resilience to in this case uh, yellow rust or mildew or whatever it's and it seemed to be the case and he's working on that that's very interesting to eaters that's interesting too because 
I mean, then we get more different, we get different varieties of, of grain that could enlarge our bread cuisine, uh, our baking traditions even more. He's, he's in it, yeah. After a pleasant coffee break, we all settle in around the dining table at Pear's office. As Jonas mentioned before, Pear works with a gene bank to investigate different types of old grain. My interest for grain have been for, for, for some years, and I want to grow quality. And I have a, a great project with uh, taking things out from the gene bank and, and try to growing. So I have been working with about five to six hundred different varieties, being wheat and spelt and barley and oats and inkhorn, Emma, to find out can it grow and find out all the things that will be possible to get from the gene bank. If we find a very good variety with a very good quality, special quality for some some purpose, it will be possible to grow. But of course the yield sometimes will be very low, but that's possible. And we have been looking in old description and we have been looking in old books and if a variety have been growing in this area in Denmark, then it must be fitting well in the system at that time and uh, then we can go back and pick this variety but a lot of variety we don't know anything thousands and thousands and we are dealing with about maybe five six hundred and a lot of things will go into the gene bank and we don't know why they are in the gene bank some have information and some have no information they have just a number and we don't know anything about it growing old varieties of grain is hard they're not optimized for yield the way modern varieties are. They take more care and they yield less. One of Pear's greatest successes from the gene bank is called Ullensweed. Ullensweed is not a variety. Pear calls it a land race. And, uh, a land race, that means that it's not breeded, but it's been growing for generations to generation. So this is an old, not variety, but land race that's not breeded. So that's the point. And we don't know anything about it, but probably in the Stone Age or when we are going from people of hunting and being a farmer, at that time, grain come to Denmark. And we think, we don't know, but we think that Ølandes have the history back because it had been grown for many, many years. And when you are going back, and we think that Ølandes is not breeded, but just been growing. And it's going from from father to son, father to son, for generations. So that's a, that's an interesting story. And I think when I go into the field, I think it's interesting to work with Elansberg because I think the story is, okay, we have a link to all times begins. And I think that's great. But especially Elansberg have this strong history. And I think it's fantastic that we can use the same more or less the same grain as they have used for more than maybe 3,000 years, maybe more. That's great. And it's still working. That's fantastic. <laughs> Bread from Ullensweet is popping up in restaurants and specialty bakeries all over Denmark. Uh, Ullensweet have been the first one breaking the ice and uh, there's a lot of interest about bread and baking and making dough and so it's, it's part of this story about a good bread. We are tired of shit bread from the supermarket and the bad bakers. So it's a part of this baking story and I think it will be, if you go to Copenhagen or just to a city or normally consumers, they don't know anything about what's going on on the countryside. And the farmers, they, 
really don't know what's going on in society. It's not black or white, but there's a, a huge gap. And I think we have a great work to try to make this gap smaller so we can get in contact with each other and we as a society find out how to treat the nature and how are we going to grow. I think it's a great opportunity, but it's also a great work. I'm not sure how we can do it. And I think this baking story, it could be a part of it because People are asking, is this Ølandsvede and where it's come from? So we have this local story connected to a product. If we can talk about a common responsibility for taking care of the land to make good products, I think I'm a part of this movement to change it to something better. And I think it's great to talk with the people to try to find out what would be the best way. Simple, but uh, difficult. (laughs) The house across from Pear's office has a big open porch. As we dodge forklifts on our way out the driveway, I imagine the cheerful dinners they must have after a long day's work. Jonas and I head back to the lab, ready to grind up some Ullens flour. It's a wooden mill. It has two stones. One of them is fixed, the bottom one, and the top one goes around. It's the same concept that bakers have used to make flowers for thousands of years. And now it's just been designed into a beautiful, I think, piece of kitchen equipment. So obviously what you also get from flour you just milled and are about to use is aroma. It's You could compare it to when you ground your coffee. The total surface areas will, will be multiplied I guess millions of times here. And that, of course, allows the aromas kept in the grain to escape. I mean, how often do you smell the bag of flour when you buy it in the supermarket? Never. I mean, this is just something, it's, it's different. Nothing more boring than a white, white, white loaf of bread. It doesn't taste of anything except for all the additives. <laughs> per Gruber, I know he hates when people say regular wheat. I mean, what is a regular wheat? That is perhaps the result of a type of agriculture where you would only strive for one type of wheat, and that is the wheat that would grow fast and be very, very productive. And maybe you are not so interested in flavor, but this is what is interesting here, that we have some farmers that are really interested in flavors. Obviously, we have a lot of chefs that are interested in flavors. We are interested in flavors. And now suddenly we have different varieties of grain that we can dive in and investigate if if it's tasty. That is very interesting. That is what is happening right now. So instead of one high-yieldy, tasteless wheat, we now have several extremely tasty varieties. I mean, you talk about single-estate coffee, single-estate wines, blah, blah, blah. How often do you talk about single-farm bread? Um... The flavor of Öland reminds me of Ebleskjur, these small round pieces of pastry. If you do a Öland's bread very, very nice, it will come out with a very soft and almost creamy crumb. It has a pretty high content of gluten, so you, you have the possibilities to do a, a very light and airy and creamy crumb. Gluten. I knew we would get to this. Gluten is the latest blacklisted food, just like carbs and fats and countless others before it. There's not a lot of scientific research on the health effects of gluten. And so I think it's short-sighted to mindlessly villainize a crucial component of bread, a food that we've been eating for thousands of years. 
That's also why it's more important than ever to better understand the context of how gluten works in bread. Gluten are proteins found in flour. When you add water to flour, strands of gluten proteins connect end-to-end to form long chains. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. First, let's talk about sourdough fermentation. Whole grains are like other types of seeds. They're an energy pack, ready to jumpstart new wheat life when the conditions are right. Grinding up the wheat not only increases the surface area, it also tears apart cell walls and releases enzymes. It's these enzymes that break down the grain starches into simple sugars. Things really get going when you add water to flour and make a sourdough starter. Water activates microbes that are dormant in the flour, and they begin consuming the newly accessible sugars. The big microbial players are yeast and lactic acid bacteria. And at some point, the, the starter would start smell like a bit like dark beer, a bit like yogurt. It would be a bit more airy. And then you know you're on your way. Yeast produce alcohol and carbon dioxide gas. They put the air in light and airy crumb. Lactic acid bacteria provide the sour. They produce both lactic acid, the acid in yogurt, and acetic acid, the acid in vinegar. The balance between these two acids has a big impact on the final flavor profile of the bread. It's always a good idea to simply smell the sourdough. To look at it, does it feel airy, vibrant and alive? Jonas has been working on the same bread recipe for years now, and he's made a couple mistakes along the way. Everything from not using a mature sourdough, inappropriate kneading, either too much or too little salt, too much or too little water, finding out how to do the pre-shaping, how long should it bulk ferment. So I've probably spent, I don't know, at least a couple of years actually to find out whether or not I should add 27 grams of salt or 28 grams of salt to this ratio of water and flour. He's partial to 27 grams at the moment. Now it's time for gluten. As I was saying before, gluten is a mixture of proteins found in flour, including gliadin and glutenin. When they're dry, these gluten molecules are coiled in on themselves, but add some water and the gluten molecules unwind. The long glutenins connect to each other and form a network, while the springy gliadins provide elasticity. At first, it's all a tangled mess, but kneading pushes and pulls the gluten proteins and aligns them into a uniform net. You would start up by something that looks almost like a porridge. It would be sticky, you would have dough all over, but then suddenly, when you knead it, this gluten network will suddenly start to transform into a more firm and elastic dough. And that transformation is literally happening in between your hands. The gluten network is strong and elastic, strong enough to trap carbon dioxide gas produced by the yeast, and elastic enough to let that gas expand in the oven. It's hot. Jonas bakes his bread in a cast-iron Dutch oven. The thick metal pot retains heat and conducts it evenly to the bread. In the first few minutes of baking, air bubbles in the dough expand and water evaporates. Since the crust hasn't formed yet, the dough can grow up to 50% of its original volume. Steam trapped in the Dutch oven gives the dough a blast of heat. This first stage is called oven spring. Jonas takes off the lid and reveals a fully formed, but relatively blonde loaf. It looks good. It seems like the, the oven spring has turned out pretty successfully. 
Yeah, it seems good. Now we just need uh, some color going on, some air reactions to occur, and take the bread out of the oven and, and cool it down and have a, have a slice. Maillard reactions are the interactions between sugars and amino acids in high heat. The molecules bond together and then shatter apart. This process gives the bread's crust its color and flavor. Much similar to when you roast coffee or fry a piece of meat. That's also Maillard reactions occurring there. This is how a fully baked bread should sound like. And listen to the crumb here. Hallelujah. Let it cool down and then we'll, we'll eat it. Nothing like a, a fresh loaf from the oven. Just a tiny bit of butter maybe and the sound of when you cut into it, it's amazing. draws your attention in a certain way. That's special to bread. Whoa. Um, it's just, it smells wonderful. <laughs> you want to eat it. <laughs> want to add butter to it. I think it has a almost, I wouldn't say f fruity aroma profile. It's kind of chewing it. It has a, a very rich and generous taste. I absolutely love the difference and the contrast between the crust and the crumb. Want to taste it? Go ahead. It reminds me a bit of dark beer, but that kind of richness, that kind of complex flavor, I think we find that here. Yeah. Transformation of water, flour, and salt into something, well, extremely tasty. Crispier, crunchy crust and a, a soft and creamy crumb. It's impressive that you can do such a thing with so few ingredients. And even though you have only few ingredients, you can tweak and twerk your bread in almost an, uh, in endless constellations. And I don't know, maybe it's also a link to our heritage, to the past. I mean, people have done breads one way or another for thousands of years now. Yes, I mean, bread and, and producing grain has very long agricultural history. Right now we have had, I don't know how many years of agricultural optimization and that bread for some years have been taken hostage by the industry. I mean, bread was never born with, I don't know, 14 additives and I mean, it's, it's flavorless, a flavor, it's, it's absent in flavor, totally. We need, we need, we need to take control of the concept and the idea of a bread. Again, and that goes with so many other things as well, not only bread. And uh, one of the ways to do that is by giving people something delicious. If we could make people care even more about what they eat and thereby how they actually transform the planet by delicious and tasty, in this case, varieties of wheat, I think we've come a long way. Bread happens to be a cornerstone in many people's diets by improving the quality of the bread that people eat on a daily basis, I'm sure you would improve the health of the exact same population. And not only the health, also the joy and the pleasure of eating bread.
For this episode, we'd like to thank Per Gruber for showing us his beautiful farm and Professor Osa Hansen for her help with research. The lab is coming out with a comprehensive guide on bread science soon, so if this episode piqued your interest, you should definitely keep a lookout for it. Nordic Food Lab Radio is written and produced by me, Meredith Hodnott. Thanks for listening. Could you guys be a little quiet? Or oh. oh, you want us to be quiet now? Just, 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 just do so. Yeah. But you are making Nordic Food Lab Radio! <laughs> huh? Okay, we'll be quiet. Sorry. No, Sorry, no. Meredith. <laughs> Jerks.